0: amen amen thank you for that steve thank you praise team that was a beautiful song to end on holy 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 god in three persons blessed trinity that's beautiful beautiful song thank you praise team for that today take your bibles if you will this morning to hebrews chapter 13 i'm going to be closing out the series on the book of hebrews Uh, we've been a little over just a few weeks over a year on this series and it's been a Absolute joy to me. I'm so grateful for all the letters or calls or feedback you've given me over this series. Uh, very touched by that. I'm, I'm amazed. at. Uh, I wrote down about six themes that I saw from letters or responses I got. Uh, one was, many came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Of course, that's always uh, worthy of praise. And then the second thing was some of uh, people wrote me about they were drifting or straying in their Christian walk, and they were brought back uh, during this series. Some renounced besetting sins that they were dealing with, or weaknesses, or weights in their life. Some were restored in a broken relationship. Some were in a crisis and found strength to carry on. And then even one wrote me and wrote about a call to full-time Christian service and missions. So that, that thrills my soul, just Just those kind of things and the responses that I received from this series, it's been life-changing for me, and I've really enjoyed it, and I'm glad to um, have had the opportunity to do it. Stand with me now. We're going to read Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 25. The title of the message today is, Don't Be Out There By Yourself. Don't Be Out There By Yourself. Verse 20, follow along now as I read. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. You may be seated. You know, I have to laugh at the way this writer closed out his book. He said, I urge you, brethren, to bear with this word of excitation, for I have written you briefly. If that's a brief letter, I'm telling you what, this is... That is incredible. It has to be some humor there when he wrote that, because that is not briefly to me. That's been torturous to study this book. I mean, for me, it has been very, very hard, it, extra study that I've had to put in on this book, because there's so much of it I did not understand. But uh, what, a, what a joy it's been, even through all of that uh, difficulty that I, I've gone through to really do that. So don't be out there by yourself. This is my theme of the message today. And where I'm really going to focus is on this little blessing prayer, verses 20 to 22, which is really a benediction or a blessing he puts on his people before he closes the letter. And so I want to use this message to put a blessing on you. And I'm going to just preach it through and take it word by word and help you understand understand it. The theme, though, is really around this phrase, who brought up back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. That's, that's just an incredible phrase in Scripture because I want you to see the whole theme of Hebrews now is being summarized in this blessing. And uh, the thing that you need to see is God intended, even before creation, God intended even before creation, that you and I would always be sheep. It's an amazing thing. He had intended that you would be sheep. Sheep in need of a shepherd. Sheep, that's what he intended. All of us who come to Jesus Christ by faith, he intended us to be sheep in need of a shepherd. Those who are happy to, to follow this shepherd and to hear his voice and to go after him as our only hope and to trust in his sacrifice. We are what the Bible calls born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. And anyone who follows the shepherd and accepts everything he's done to save us, they are truly born again. We will always have this sheep like need of a shepherd. He puts it in you. You should feel that, you should sense that as a child of God. This sheep like need of a shepherd. When you got saved, Peter said it this way: You have come to the shepherd of your soul. The shepherd of your soul. That's 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 a beautiful thought. And then this one I liked, Revelation chapter 7, verse 6, it says, in eternity that we will have need of a shepherd. Even into our eternity, we're going to need a shepherd. That's an incredible thought too, is that the Bible says that. It says, for the Lamb in the center of the throne in heaven will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to the springs of the waters of life. And he shall wipe every tear from their eye. Forever, we're going to need a shepherd. And that's a beautiful thing to think about here this morning. Now, I want to answer four questions through this little benediction, this little blessing that's given to Uh, The people in hebrews and how god wants to speak to you through this and so here's my four questions first of all Who is this great shepherd? What's obvious? It's jesus christ, but let's just kind of tear down the verse so you can see it clearly It says in verse 20 now the god of peace Now, let me just stop there and say this about the God of peace. This isn't like this peaceful feeling. The God of peace means this, that at one time in your life, he was at enmity with you. He was your enemy and you were his enemy because there was this raging flood of wrath, an ocean of wrath, I should say, that was against you with God because of your sin. And your sin had separated you from a holy God. And so therefore, God devised a plan to send his son to be the sacrifice for your sin, and he just quelled the waters of that raging flood and made it calm. And now he becomes the God of peace to you. It's absolutely beautiful to think about. And what did he do? He brought up back from the dead Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now that's that's a great line too, because the shepherd died 2,000 years ago, And uh, God raised him from the dead, never to die again. And today he's alive, and what he's doing is he's going throughout the earth, and he's looking for undeserving sheep. Sheep who know they don't deserve the grace of God, who know they don't deserve their sins to be forgiven, who always feel this sense of, I should pay for my sin. But God's gone out and he's looked for undeserving sheep. And how did he do it? He did it by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, that's two chapters in the book of Hebrews that he's just summarizing and throwing right out there. But what he's saying by that is, to get into God's presence, everything must be covered in blood. The furniture, everything. You you have to be covered in blood. That's, that's just kind of weird to us in our culture to think about that way. Well, God says, if you're going to come into my presence, I have to visibly see the blood. I have to visibly see the blood. Why, why do I have to visibly see the blood? Because it signifies to God that something died for you to get into the presence of God. And that was his son who gave his life and poured out his blood because the life is in the blood. And therefore that blood is always visible, but the blood of the eternal covenant, to get into God's presence. It always reminds us that we have broken the law of God, and therefore a death, someone's blood, needed to cover our sin. Now, what else is it? It's an eternal covenant. This is another way to say a new covenant, but he's using it in a different way here as he closes out. In other words, God puts his son on a cross. And he sheds his blood. You did nothing to make that happen. All you did was exercise faith. You put your faith in that for the trusting of your soul. And it's eternal. It's eternal. You never have to wonder, will God go back on this? Will God ever go back on me if I screw up, if I mess up, if I do this? Will God ever go back on what he did if I fail? And what God's saying is, it's an eternal covenant. I keep my side of the covenant, and I keep your side of the covenant. I keep both sides of the covenant. I keep your side and my side. That's incredible to really get a hold of an eternal covenant like that. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on the things that you do. You say, well, what if I just go out and live any way I want? Well, if you go out and live any way you want, it just proves you're not saved. Because if you got saved, you're not going to want to go out and do anything you want. Your wanter gets fixed, and when God fixes your wanter, it doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean you won't fail, doesn't mean you won't fall, but you will not live a lifestyle of that. You will not live a lifestyle of that because God changes you, and he begins to work inside of you. Even though you know you're going to fall, even though you're going to do wrong sometimes, God says, I don't care. I'm going to keep my side and your side of the covenant because it's an eternal covenant that I made with you. I forgive you, I preserve you as my people forever. What do we do? We receive him. We trust him. We follow him like sheep. We follow him like sheep. That's why you have a great shepherd. Number two, what does the great shepherd do? He does two things in this verse. Number, verse 21, look at that. He equips you in everything, every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Okay, he does two things for us. Number one, he equips you with every good work that you may do his will. What's that mean? That means this. He gives you the tools. He gives you the weapons. He gives you the means, whatever word you want to use there because it's a broad word, but he gives you whatever you need to do his will. He gives it to you, okay? It doesn't mean... Uh, You have everything you need to be rich, to be famous, to be healthy, to be wealthy, or to be beautiful. It doesn't mean that. It means you have everything you need to do His will. And if He calls you to do a thing, if God puts a call on you to say, God, I want you to do this for me, and God will do that with you because you're His child. He will equip you. He said, I've given you the tools, I've given you the weapons, I've given you the means to be able to do that. It's not a promise to be rich. That's not what it's saying. It's, It's a promise to give you what you need to do His will. So He equips you. Then the other part of that is it says, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Now that's an incredible phrase because you don't see it in the English there. But the word working in us is the word energio, energy. What the word literally means is that God stirs the inner strength of our will. God stirs the inner strength. Not only does he give us everything we need to do it, but he also comes in and he gives us the desire to do it. Let me get a little stronger with you on that. Now does he just give you the desire to do it, the Bible says, for it is God who worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What does that mean? That means he gives you the desire, but he also gives you the ability to do it. So you get the desire and the dynamic going on at the same time. He wills it in you. This is incredible to get a hold of for your life if you could just get a hold of it for just a minute. Okay? Everything I've ever done for the Lord, it was never my idea. God put the idea into my head and gave me a desire to do it. I didn't have one good idea in my life for anything I've done for God. God before ordained every good thing I should walk in. And then what God did is he just started working in my life and he put the desire in me. You know what I want to do? I want to pastor. You know what I want to do? I want to preach. That wasn't my idea. He just, he just put it in me. I want to build buildings, a triad. That wasn't my idea. He just put it in me. There's not one idea I've had here in 24 years. He gave it all to me. He gives it to you. Everything you've ever done that's good for the Lord, he's given it to you. He put the desire in you, he gave you the idea, and then he gave you the ability to accomplish it. It's absolutely amazing to me. When you just think about that for a second, and and by the way, that's why I can't be proud, that's why it takes care of pride in anyone, because you can't be proud of the fact, you didn't come up with the idea, you didn't come up with the desire, and you didn't come up with the ability to do it. He did it all. And that's why I can only give glory to him with my life. And I can't ever say, yeah, look what I've done. Everything I've done, he gave me the idea. He gave me the desire and he gave me the ability to do it. Everything, everything I've ever done for the Lord, everything you've ever done for the Lord. He did it all that way with you. He gave you the idea, put it right in your head, gave you the desire to do it. Where did I get that desire from? You got it from the Lord. That's how everything happens with God. Not only does he equip you, but he works inside of you. He energizes you with ideas and desires to do his will. That's that's absolutely beautiful to me, and I, I wish I could camp more there, but let's go on. Okay, number three. Why do we do what we do for the great shepherd? Why do we do what we do for the great shepherd? It says it right there. Not only did he equip us and energize inside of us, but he said, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He said, I did it all. We do it all for his glory. All for his glory. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we do it. Glory. That's a beautiful word. Glory. I and mean, there's so many words that really tie to that. And I just want you to hear them. All these words fit this definition of glory. Praise. Honor. Admiration. Esteem, wonder, all all belongs to the great shepherd of the sheep. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to think about that. All of it goes to the sheep, to the shepherd of the sheep. We get the care. We get the care. He's the caregiver. Okay? We get the still waters. He gets the satisfaction of giving us still waters. We get the protection, he gets the tribute as the shepherd protector. We get the guidance, he gets the esteem of being the shepherd guide. We get the provision, he gets the trust as the shepherd provider. We get the joy of being loved, he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. You know, when I was studying this and thinking about this, uh, it just ran through my mind. I, I am so blessed. I am so blessed with this kind of stuff. And whenever it hits you into your soul, there's just something inside you. He says, I am so blessed. Jim Harbaugh, quarterback for the uh, Chicago Bears for 14 years. Then he went on to coach all kinds of teams, coached in the NFL, and then he ended up in Michigan. Now he's at his alma mater in Michigan. Every time he comes into the locker room, before he starts a game, he starts to say, he gives his little speech, then he gets to the end of it, and he does his little mantra. Who's got it better than us? And the whole Michigan team says, nobody. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. And I mean, he just gets them riled up to go out and play that game. Nobody's got it better than us. Nobody. Nobody. And, and, and I, think, I think to myself, they go out, that thing is contagious, you watch it on YouTube, don't watch it now, especially if you're an Ohio State fan, you're not gonna like it. But, but listen, if you, you don't, you just think about that for a minute. You know, just, they would go out feeling blessed. Who's got it better than us? Nobody, nobody's got it better than us. And that's how I feel in my heart in Christ. Who's got it better than me? Nobody. Who's got it better than you? Nobody. Nobody's got it better than us. Why we got the great shepherd of the sheep taking care of us, watching over us, providing for us, giving everything we need for us. That's, That's contagious to me. And that's why I want to give him all the glory. With all the trouble I got, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. And he's going to get all the glory because he's never against me. God is never against you. Never. Hmm. All right, that's, that's kind of the, the sum total of the glory of God. Okay, question four where I'm going to camp here this morning. Where is the great shepherd taking us? Where is the great shepherd taking us? Well, this is where you have to think about the whole scriptures to understand what uh, the writer is trying to say here. God has always ordained that between himself and, and us, there be a human shepherd. There be a human shepherd. Okay, I'm called a pastor. That's the word shepherd in the Hebrew. I'm called a pastor in the Greek, but it's, it's poimen, shepherd. He's always designed that between you and him, there be a human shepherd. Okay? That's just God's ultimate design in life. There'd be a leader of his people. I don't care if it's the Old Testament, they were called shepherds. I don't care if it's the New Testament, they're called shepherds. In the Old Testament, everyone who led the people of God was called a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses, he was the prime minister of Egypt. He left that position and became a shepherd. Went all the way down to a lowly shepherd. You say, why would God do that? Because that's the training ground to lead people is take care of the sheep. You can't take care of the sheep if you don't know how to get down to the level of a shepherd. And so everybody is a shepherd. David is a shepherd. He was the greatest shepherd in Israel. And a great passage on that is Psalm 78 where it talks about the fact that God took him from the sheepfold, from caring for the lambs, to shepherd Israel, his people. That's a beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture there. Now, I can say this honestly. God knows the frailty of human shepherds, but he still puts them there. All of them failed. I'm a shepherd. I have failed. I know myself. I know my heart. And I know how badly I fail. But God planned a long time ago there'd be a great and perfect shepherd who never fails, who never abuses people, who never manipulates, who never fornicates, who never embezzles, who never denies the faith. There's one shepherd who does that. That's the great shepherd who will never let you down. And he laid down his life, and if you receive him on the basis of his death on Calvary, he guarantees you'll be with him forever. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Now, to be a shepherd in the Bible is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. It was considered the dregs. If, if there was a dirty job show in the ancient Near East, shepherds would be at the, at, the, at the bottom of that list. They'd be the dirty jobs of the ancient Near East. And that, that's the way they would have seen it. They, in the New Testament, even, when you get the shepherds that abide in the field and come to the birth of Christ, they're considered the level of a thief. They can't even give a testimony in court because they were so dirty and so lowly and so dishonorable. They're never seen in a complimentary way and you should never read shepherd in the Bible as a compliment. In 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel tells Jesse, get all your kids ready, I'm going to anoint one of them king of Israel. And so Jesse gets all of his kids and Samuel looks them over and says, God doesn't hasn't anointed any of these. Is this all your kids? Well, I got one boy out in the sheepfold, David. You didn't get him. Why didn't you get him? Because what Jesse was thinking is, he's just a dirty little shepherd boy. He's not going to amount to much. His own dad didn't even see anything in him. He says, go get him. And Samuel anoints him as king. And, and that's because you're not thought of to be much if you run or take care of sheep at the battle of the Philistines and Israel against Goliath when when David came and brought some cheese for his brothers he saw how everybody was afraid of Goliath and he could not believe the things he was saying he's saying Goliath you've defied the armies of the living God and nobody wants to fight you that's because Saul has brought them to a standstill in the valley of Elah, because or Saul brought them to a standstill because Saul was an inadequate leader. He basically gave up on God and didn't trust him. So he's left his people not able to move forward. And so Saul can't move him forward. And so David cannot believe that nobody will fight against him. Goes to his oldest brother, Eliab, and says, Man, why don't you take on Goliath? He's defying the armies of the living God. God will give you strength to defeat them. And Eliab looks at him and said, Go home, you bloodthirsty little shepherd, dirty boy. Go back to your sheep. Because nobody wants to fight. And David can't believe that. And word travels through the camp that there's this little 15-year-old kid that's willing to take on Goliath. And Saul's amazed at that and says, Saul, bring him into my camp. And so he brings him into his camp. And he says, what right do you have as a 15-year-old to go up against Goliath. And you know what David says? I was a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. And when the lion came against the little lamb and put it in its mouth, I took out my sling and I went after that lion and I attacked it and I defeated that lion and got that lamb out of his mouth. When the bear came up against one of my big fat lambs, he said, I went after that. Bear, and the Bible says, I grabbed him by the beard. By the way, this is just for preaching purposes. Do not try this in the woods. (laughs) He grabbed him by the beard, and he smote him with his fist and crushed the bear and saved his lamb. And Saul knew God's hand was on this young kid. Defeated a lion, defeated a bear, and now he wants to take on Goliath. Saul knew the hand of God was on this little kid. And he said, I'm going to let you fight him. I'm going to let you fight him. He said, but put on my armor. And so he puts on his armor, and he tries to put it on David. And David puts on that armor, he puts on the helmet, and he can't move around. He's like, I can't can't fight in this. And he takes it off, and he says, I'm just going to go with my sling and my rock and my shepherd's pouch. I don't need any of that. Now those slings in those days, all it was was a long rag. That's all a sling was in that day. So all he had was a rag and a rock. Now you've got to think about that for a minute. Why would God do that? Because what David knew was, if you're going to fight God's battles as a shepherd, you need the weapons of a shepherd. You can't fight with the modern-day coat of mail and coat of armor that they had. You've got to fight with the weapons of a shepherd. That's how you fight your battles. And David knew that. David is acting like a true shepherd because he knew the only way they could get victory was to take a rock and a rag, a weapon of a shepherd, and fight the enemy. And so David goes up against Goliath, nine feet, nine inches tall, and all he's got is a rag and a rock. And he whips that rag around with that rock in there, and he slings it at Goliath, and boom, right through the forehead goes that rock, and over he falls. Why? He fought with the weapons of a shepherd. That's what God ordained. That's what God ordains today. That's what gives the victory today. If you're going to be a shepherd, you've got to fight with the weapons of a shepherd. Now, the weapons of a shepherd today aren't a sling and a rock. It's not a rag. The weapons today are the Word of God, a holy life, faith, counseling, spiritual songs. Now, the world will tell you that's utter foolishness. You're going to bring things down with the Word of God? You're going to change things with a holy life? You're going to do it by faith? The world will tell you that's crazy. And by the way, preachers sometimes get pulled to that. Sometimes a preacher will say, you know what? Maybe if we had a better parking lot. Maybe if our greeters were a little sharper. Maybe if our our building was a little more impressive. Maybe if we just changed our music a little away from the spiritual songs. We'd bring them in. See, Every preacher has his tricks of the trade that he sometimes wants to rely on more than the weapons of a shepherd. But God says, those weapons, those weapons that you got out there, like your parking lot and your landscaping, and everything you think is going to impress this community, they won't bring down strongholds. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal to the pulling down of strongholds. They can't pull down strongholds. But it's the weapons of the shepherd that are mighty through God and comes against everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and knocks it over dead. You cannot defeat an addiction through the weapons of the world. The world has been trying to defeat addictions with its weapons. And they're helpless. The only way you'll defeat addictions is with the weapons of a shepherd. It's the only thing that will bring down strongholds, casting down things that are raising themselves up against the knowledge of God. We need the weapons of a shepherd. That's why I go with full authority on the word of God, full authority that this is the only way I'm going to be able to destroy the weapons or destroy the enemies that come against us. It's the only way I believe it will deal with an addiction in your life. It's the only way I believe it will deal with your fear. It's the only way I believe it will take care of any issue, any problem, anything you've got going in your life, is there's got to be the weapons used that will bring down those things. That's an incredible segment or aspect of faith that I can't convince you of, but I can tell you it's consistent throughout the will, the Word of God. And that's how David was effective. That's how I'm going to be effective. That's why I go out as a shepherd calling people to repentance, repentance of their sin, putting their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's it. That's my only weapon. That's all I got. That's all I got. And that's what you got. You go out calling people to repentance. You go out with a holy life. You go out in faith. You go out with the word of God. You go out in counseling, drawing people to the word of God. You go out with spiritual song. That's your power. That's your weapons. That's what works in people's lives. It's absolutely amazing to me because it just seems so silly. It seems so silly. That would, that would be God's plan, but that is his plan. Now, take that for a minute from the Old Testament, go into the New, and Jesus Christ comes and he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my, da- my life down for the sheep. And then he says to us, he says, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. I put some wolves in your life. You got any wolves? God says, I put some wolves in your life. I send you out as sheep among the wolves. Now, have you ever felt ill-suited for the fight you're in? Sheep to a wolf. Have you ever felt that you're not equipped for the adversity you're up against sheep to the wolf have you ever feel like you don't have the confidence to deal with what's being thrown at you sometimes cuz the atmosphere god put you in how could god be good how could god be good and put me in a world full of wolves how could god be loving and put me in an office full of wolves How could God be kind and put me in a community full of wolves? Or a family full of wolves? Doesn't God know He didn't build me with the right equipment to fight the opposition? I'm full of fear. I wander. I'm just a little sheep. am I going to take this on in my life? Doesn't God know the vulnerability of my nature? I'm a sheep. Doesn't he get the fact that I'm weak in my flesh? I have these cravings of lust. And I can't seem to overcome them in my mind and my spirit sometimes. It will not always be strong to fight that. And sometimes there's some days I just want to quit. Does God know? Does God know that? Does God know that sometimes I can't sleep at night? Does God know that I toss and turn because sometimes I smell a wolf? I sense trouble. It's coming. I feel ill-prepared. I don't feel like i got the strength. Does God know this? I'm glad you asked. You've been asking that for the last five minutes, okay? Does God know this? The good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. Listen to that. The great shepherd of the sheep says to you, you're not in it by yourself. He wants you to know that in your spirit right now. In your spirit, you're not in it by yourself. You don't have to fight this by yourself. You don't have to withstand this by yourself. The shepherd is coming. The shepherd is coming. He's coming to you to tell you that. And the shepherd says to you this, I come against anything that is against you. Whatever's trying to kill you, whatever's trying to destroy you, whatever's trying to steal from you, I come against it. Whatever's trying to come against your purpose, whatever's trying to come against your destiny, whatever's trying to come against your calling, whatever's trying to come against your future, I come against it, he says. Because he's the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. I came to protect what I started in you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm not a hireling. I don't run when the wolf comes. The hireling, he runs because he doesn't care for the sheep. But I care for the sheep because I lay my life down for the sheep. Greater than David ever did. Much greater than David ever did. If the wolf comes running toward you, I run toward the wolf. I get between you and the wolf because I care for the sheep. I'll do whatever I have to do. I don't run from a fight. Why are you running from a fight? I don't run from a fight. I get right there between you and the wolf. Because I care for the sheep. The wolf comes, the Bible says, to snatch and scatter the sheep. What a word. Scatter. Just think about that for a minute. Scatters the sheep. The wolf knows their strength in numbers. He knows that. And so what does he do? He tries to scatter the sheep. Weakens the strength when there's no numbers together, okay? That's why Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Some have given up on gathering together. Don't you do that. Don't you forsake the gathering of yourselves together because you got a wolf to fight. you got a wolf to fight. And that wolf is after you and he's going to scatter the sheep to get you alone so he can get you. That's how he works. He scatters the sheep so he can snatch you for himself. That's how wolves are. And he's able to devour you when he scatters you and separates you from the group. That's why the Bible says as you see the last days approach do this all the more. All the more get together all the more gathered together. The closer you get in the last days, the more you need to stick together. The more you need to stick together. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. you got to stick together. The more he attacks, the more you need to be in church. The more he tries to come against you, the more you need to be in service for God. Why? Because you're not strong enough by yourself against the enemy. You are not strong enough. The Enemy wants to scatter you so he can destroy. That's how he works. He scatters you so he can destroy. I was reading this this week. The Good Shepherd left the ninety and nine. Why did he leave the ninety and nine and go after the one? Because the ninety nine were safe together. But there's one of my sheep out there on his own. He's all alone out there. I can't let him be there. The 99 are safe. I'm going after the one. The one. He goes after the one because he's out there by himself. There's my sermon title. Don't be out there by yourself. Don't be out there by yourself. He's trying to scatter you. He's trying to get you away from other people that of like faith would try to keep you in the right direction. So what does he want to do? The reason he leaves the 99 is because he knows There's strength in the herd. And so Jesus Christ goes after the one. Because isolation is the last step before destruction. Isolation is the last step before destruction. That's how he does it. That's his tricks. That's what he's going to do with you. He's going to try to get you isolated, he's going to try to get you separated. Anything that is about, I've learned this as a pastor, anything that is about to be destroyed will always isolate itself before destruction. It will isolate itself right before destruction. I don't care whether it's in a family or a marriage or a job. People leave before they leave. People leave before they leave. I've watched that. I've watched it. The last trick of the enemy is to get you isolated. That's his last trick. Oh, nobody cares about me. Nobody understands me. Nobody loves me. That's his last trick. And he does a good job with some of you. He just wants to keep throwing that at you. Nobody really cares about you. Nobody understands you. So, what do you do? You pull away. You pull away and you isolate yourself, and he's got you right where he wants you. He scattered you, and now he's going after to snatch you, because you isolated yourself in his in your life. And once he separates you from the pack, he will destroy you, because he loves a state of isolation. He loves that. I'm just telling you, okay? I'm telling you today. This is where I'm going with this. Stay with the herd. Stay with the herd. Because that was Satan's trick with Christ. And it worked. Smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So, what did he do? He smit Christ, he smote him, stretched him wide, and hung him high. And the minute he struck the shepherd, the sheep scattered, they ran in every direction. Mark, the Bible says, disciple Mark, he was so scared of the enemy, he ran away. They were grabbing his clothes and tearing his clothes off him, and he ran away naked to get away from his enemies. He ran as fast as he could to get away. Thomas, he said, I'm leaving the church. I'm not staying around here. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Peter, he denied him, cursed the Son of God. said, I'm done. I'm done. All of them. All of them scattered. Every one of them. And Satan knew what he was doing. Get the sheep to scatter. I got them right where I want them. And then the wolf came in for the kill. I've got the shepherd down. I got them where I want them. Broken. Scattered, tattered, torn. You know what happened? hell started having a party. <laughs> they got high on Friday night. They got drunk on Saturday night. But early Sunday morning, the one who brings back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the bright and morning star, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley here he comes here he comes out of the grave now the enemy said uh oh here he comes but his followers said here he comes here he comes and Jesus Christ spent the next 40 days gathering back his sheep it took him 40 days when he came the first time to appear him, where's thomas Hey, tell Thomas to be here next time. I need him to thrust his hand in my side to learn a few things. Peter, he denied me. Tell Peter I'm going to meet him in Galilee. I want him back. And for 40 days, he gathered the sheep together. And in 40 days, they spent the next 10 days in the upper room together. And they began to pray and they began to seek God. And that's why you go to the book of Acts to learn this, that 50 days later, they were all brought back together. Devil, you tried to destroy me. You tried to take my peace. You tried to take my joy. You tried to take my sheep. But you ain't getting none of it. I'm back. I'm back. And I'm going to be victorious over you. And my people, my sheep, are going to be victorious over you. Some of you, Satan, the wolf, is after your peace. And it doesn't take much. He just throws one little thing into your life and he just takes your peace. Some of you, he's trying to take your joy. Some of you, he's just trying to steal something. You've fallen or you've made a mistake in your Christian walk and he's just trying to twist that a little to get you to pull away. But I'm telling you, just give him a praise today and say, I'm back. I'm back. Praise God, I'm back. That's what, that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to bring us back. He wants to bring us back. It's a beautiful thought. He brought them all assembled there together in the upper room and then at that 50th day, the Spirit of God descended upon that room and filled them. Filled them. And the rest of the sheep stories are history. And what he's doing today is he still gathering sheep and he's leading them to still waters. He's bringing us to still waters. So we would lay down and say we're going to be okay. That's the great shepherd of the sheep. Let's pray. Just as our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know how Satan the wolf is working in your wife' life. But I know he's trying to steal some things from you. He's trying to destroy some things from you. And some of you he's trying to scatter. You say, Pastor Robbie's doing a pretty good job. He wants to wants to scatter the sheep. So the key is to know how he's working in you. What's he trying to steal from you? Your peace? Your joy? What does he want? I just ask the Spirit of God to speak to you in a personal way right now in your life what the shepherd wants to give you and what the wolf wants to steal. I just ask the Spirit of God to bless you with this passage of Scripture and to put it on your life that the great shepherd of the sheep, that the God of peace brought back from the dead by the blood of His eternal covenant would equip you and put within you desires and ideas to do His will and to give His good pleasure that you and your life would give glory to him forever and ever. I lay this before you now, and now the Spirit of God will speak to you, and I ask it now in the name of Jesus, the only name there's power, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.